Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. All four Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four Gospels include two stories. It is the resurrection of Jesus and it's the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Those are the only two stories included in all four of the Gospels. If you read uh, John's account, it says 5,000. If you read Matthew's account, there's no contradiction. But what Matthew says, where John says there was 5,000 men, Matthew says there was 5,000 men plus women and children. Most scholars believe that there was probably closer to fifteen to 20,000 people that day when this miracle occurred, okay? So it is a very, very powerful uh, story. All four Gospels would include it, and let me say this to you. Picture it. It's late in the day, late in the day. Jesus has been walking through those dusty Palestinian roads and through Jerusalem and all the way into Galilee, So he's now back up in Galilee, he's doing some ministry, he's hanging with people, his disciples have been with him, the people have been out and about kind of hanging with him all day. It is late, the people are tired, the people are hungry, and now all of a sudden you've got 5,000 men plus their wives and their kids showing up unexpectedly for dinner. When people get uh, hungry and when people get tired, There's an acrostic I learned a long time ago called HALT. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, people can get some crappy attitudes during that time. I was introduced to it through AA because they're like, you're more susceptible to give into a drink if you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So you got, here's the scenario. People are tired. It's late in the day. Chick-fil-A's closed. (laughs) Huey, he hadn't opened yet. Papa John's is not delivering. I mean, you've got fifteen to 20,000 people, and bam, they're there. And here's something I've come to realize from my own personal journey. God will put you in positions at times where you feel helpless. If you have ever walked with Jesus for any period of time and really sought to press into the Lord, the Lord will put you in positions at times where you feel completely helpless. I've been there, and I feel like, man, I'm destined for failure. And if I look at what my solutions or strategy or agenda might be, I'm like, it's not going to work. And unless the supernatural takes place, I'm up the creek. I'm just telling you. And the Lord will put us in positions at times to stretch our faith, to stretch our dependence, and to cause us to run out of ourselves. Repeatedly, for these last years, since surrendering to Christ in October of 85, I can promise you God has brought me to places where my faith has been on trial multiple times. And if your faith has not been put on trial, I would question your faith. But I would also tell you this. Faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. And the only way you can really trust your faith is your faith has to be tested. It's crazy. So scenario, all these folks are there. All these people are hanging out. Let me give you some principles and then I want to unpackage John chapter 6 for you. 
first principle I would share would be this. Number one, just because something seems impossible is no excuse not for trying. A lot of times we make conclusions. Well, that can't be done, so we don't even try. God calls us repeatedly to step out of our comfort zone to take risk. And I can tell you, if you go back and study the pages of Scripture, if Moses had that attitude, ah, this is impossible, no sense in trying, the people of Israel would still be wandering in the desert. If Joshua had that attitude, the walls of Jericho would still be standing. If David had that thought process, Goliath would probably still be intimidating the people of Israel. When you study it, repeatedly God brought people to a place where they felt helpless and they could not trust themselves. You never know, and I never know what God can do in any given moment. When I stop trusting in myself, Rick, and press into him, I'm like, but by the grace of God. But by the power of God, second principle would be this. God may ask you to attempt the impossible so that you have to trust him. Last week we pondered, hey, Jesus looks at the guy at Bethesda and says, get up and walk. <clears throat> that sounded impossible. He would look at Lazarus and he would say, Lazarus, I know you've been dead for a few days. Get up. God will oftentimes ask us to do the impossible. Man, that, that, that can't happen. Yes, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever God requires, God will always supply. He's not asking you to come up with it. God will stretch your faith. God will stretch where your allegiance is, and you will get exposed. And if God commands it, I can promise you, God will cover it. When I prayed through this 10 years ago to come here to the Cross Loganville, it was the oasis at the time. And again, you've heard me share, but when we looked at the scenario of what was going on here, there was over $6 million of debt on this property. They were $70,000 behind on their mortgage payment at that time. And I remember looking at the math going, this place is brutal. And God goes, I'm calling you there to ortho it, Titus 1.5. I'm sending you there to straighten out some things that were left undone. And I felt like the Holy Spirit during that five-day fast, that seven-day fast period of where I was really seeking God, Barb and I, I felt like God said, if I call you, I'll cover you. And on paper, it made no sense. In the logical, it made no sense. Third principle would be this. When we offer God what we have, all things are possible. When you offer God what you've You've got all things are possible because here is a fundamental principle. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. And I was pondering this thought process this week that no matter what you have, as long as you hold on to it, it's in the wrong hands. I'm like, I got to write this down. Lord, you're hitting me that no matter what you've got, as long as you hold on to it, it's in the wrong hands. And when you release it and put it before the Lord, you don't know what God may do. Verse 5, the crowd was approaching. Then Jesus asked Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all these people can eat? Hey, Philip, check it out. Where are we going to buy bread so that all these people can eat? Philip goes, Lord, 
if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these folks. He was basically saying, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. Are you nuts? I mean, look at this. Do you see the crowd? We don't have this kind of money. There's no way this is going to happen. And if you read Mark's account, Mark chapter 6, verse 36, where he captures this feeding of the 5,000 plus, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, tell these people to go home. Just tell them to go on, hit the road. Tell them to take it to the house. Uh, the day's over. And oftentimes, God will put us in positions where he's like, now, I want you to ante up, but I'm tired. I haven't had enough sleep. I'm hungry. I just can't make it. Are you going to trust me or are you going to trust you? And Jesus was basically asking Philip one question. Philip, how strong is your faith? And I believe the Lord will oftentimes, Steve, take us to places where he goes, hey, hey, how strong is your faith? How much do you trust me? I mean, they've already seen him turn water to wine. They've already seen the dude jump up and start walking that was lame. Hey, hey, Philip, where's your faith? How much faith you got today? We're introduced to another guy, Andrew, a few chapters back. And Andrew appears again here. And Andrew... He's an interesting guy to kind of study. He finds this little boy who has a sack lunch with a few loaves of bread, five, and a couple of fish. Hey, his parents probably said, hey, man, pack you a little something to eat. We know your blood sugar is going to get whacked later on. Uh, you, you're going to need something to gnaw on. These little barley loaves, it's not like he had loaves of bread. He had just these little barley loaves and a few fish. Hey, 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 grab that and take it with you. Andrew spots a little boy amongst the fifteen to 20,000 people, and he's like, no way, you got some fish and chips. And he thinks, I wonder if we got this to Jesus, what the outcome might be. Esposito, I love Andrew. He was always taking a risk. He was always connecting the dots. When he first met Jesus, the scripture says the first thing he did was he's like, oh, I got to go get my brother Simon Peter. And as soon as he met Jesus, he connected Peter to Jesus. All of a sudden, he sees, this is overwhelming, this is crazy, but he sees a little boy with a sack lunch and he thinks, let's connect the dots. Let's take what he's got and get it in the right hands because as long as he holds on to it, nothing's going to happen. And it's that way with your life, too. I love people who take risk. And when you start to ponder the story of the 5,000 plus, you'll think about Jesus, and you'll think about the crowd, and you'll think about, uh, you, you'll, you'll think about Philip, and you'll think about Andrew. But a lot of times, we don't think about the little boy. He was just a nameless little somebody floating around that happened to be located, identified, and brought to Jesus. And this little boy becomes a rock star stud of the story because what God did with him that day has been read from that time on, all four Gospels included. And it's like, hey, hey did y'all ever read the story, little boy, and how a sack lunch, just some fish and chips, and how God used him that day? No. Nah. He's a part of the story for eternity. And I started thinking about that. I was like, yeah. 
Because here's some fundamental principles as I think about it. We never know what kid God will use on any given day. We never know what God will do in some kid's life that can rock the multitude. This little dude, I'm going to use you. And, and I can tell you right now, we have teed up every Sunday, every Wednesday, throughout the week, opportunities to serve in that next generation. And we have an opportunity to be a part of possibly seeing the next Billy Graham or the next Mother Teresa or the next, you name it, raised up. And, and, and Jack, you've been over there with those kids, you and Tamara, y'all go in there week after week and I, I, I look at... I, I look at the crosses, and I look at other people that are serving, Tim Pennick and these other guys, and I'm like, Tim, you are being a part of shaping the next generation, and you don't know what kid God's going to raise up that would potentially tilt the world with the gospel. It's like, you don't know. No, I don't know. And, and because it's so powerful, back to my left in the far back after service today, I'm going to encourage you to volunteer and sign up to be a part of the next gen ministry to say, I'm going to volunteer and I want to be a part of it. We've got like some cool stories happening all the time. Okay. So your, your sister, Aaliyah, she's a little bitty cute, seven-year-old little blonde. Aaliyah decides, huh, meet me at the cross cards. She takes some. She goes into her school a few weeks ago. She starts inviting a few of her friends. Last Sunday, that little seven-year-old that she invited, that little dude showed up with his mama and his grandmother. And I'm like, here she is, seven years old, having influence with three generations. And I was like, Aaliyah, that is so cool that you did that. And she goes, well, I invited another one, but they didn't come, but I'm going to keep working on them. <laughs> and it's not that kids say the darndest things or kids say the cutest things. It's that God chooses to use kids to have impact and influence. I've seen families hanging on by a thread. And some little kid get the yearning deep down inside, we, 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 we need to go to church. And Juan Carmen, you know this is true. Dara says, I want to go. Well, we'll find somewhere to go. All of a sudden, man, because of that little kid's yearning, the family starts going. And all of a sudden, revival starts taking place. I want to be a part of influence in that next generation. I want more monies designated with what we're doing at the cross to influence the next generation. We built this field. Over the next weeks, you come here on a Saturday, there'll be hundreds of little kids out kicking a ball, throwing a ball, doing something, because we wanted them to have a place to go where they would be loved and introduced to the gospel. Are you committed to the next generation? Here's another point. We are never lost in the crowd. I'm telling you, that little dude that day was not one of 15 to 20,000 in that crowd. He was one of one. And you walk in here today, you're one of one. You're not one of many. You're a one-of-a-kind piece of art. 
God knows your name. He knows where you've been. He knows where he wants to take you. He's aware of your story. And I started pondering this going, oh, we're never lost in the crowd. God knows us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows me by name. And the Lord is pursuing me. And I was like, yes, I just want to trust you because every story matters. Here's another principle as I think through it. No problem is too big and no person is ever too small. I'm like, I read this and I'm like, there's no problem too big. The disciples concluded, oh, we don't see 5,000 men and 15,000, 20,000 problems or or, or potential uh, things that we can solve here. We see problems here today. The disciples, when they looked at all the masses, all they saw were problems. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. No problem is too big. Matthew 19, 26. With God, all things are possible. What have I got? So I started thinking through, like, God, we have needs that are greater than our abilities to meet them. He goes, great. From the time I got here on this campus, I was like, you said if you call me, you'll cover me. But we continue to say, hey, we got a need right here. HVAC stuff. Oh, we got to repeat got to replace it. It's, it's starting to fall apart. I mean, it's 13, 15 years old. Don, we need some help. We got roof, roof leaks all over the place. Yep. Dustin went in the other day. Yank drywall off the wall. Hey, we need some help. This thing, we got some leaks. We got lights out. We got, we got, we got. And God goes, I'll, I'll, I can cover it. Just tell the people to bring me what they got. I'll multiply it. And if we all participate collectively, God will eliminate debt. God will eliminate difficulty. God will eliminate whatever we're facing today. He just wants an open hand. Hey, bring me what you got. Trust me to do the impossible. Do you trust him? So I'm going through this going, wow. We all have something to offer. But again, the point is this. As long as I hold on to it, it just stays in the wrong hand. We've all got something to offer. And it's like, what do you got? Then bring it. Bring it. Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus. You can read the story. Yes, there's leftovers. He does the miraculous. But when it's over, he's like, y'all go ahead and go to the other side of the lake. They're up on the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to slip away. The disciples go out on the lake. We've been on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's way low. That's probably what? 200 feet below sea level, whatever it is there. And, and storms can just come up, and the disciples are rowing, and we're trying to get to the other side up by Tiberius. And man, and it's not working. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks on the water. Shh. Y'all chill, guys. I'm with you. Everything's going to be all right. Hold on. We, we like the tricks and treats over there, we don't like storms in our life. Y'all going to walk with me or not? You're going to trust me or not? They get to the other side of the lake. All these people are hanging out there. I want you to hear this loud and clear. All these people now have gathered on the other side of the lake. Jesus replied, the truth is, y'all want to hang around me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. This is the only word, this is the only, only work God wants from you. That you believe in the one that he sent. And what Jesus is establishing, and this is where it starts to get firm. 
hey guys, I am bigger than tricks and treat. I'm bigger than Houdini. I'm bigger than Copperfield. I'm bigger than your desire to enjoy a buffet. And so many people like the perks, but they don't want to surrender. They will stay on the fringe and go, that's cool right there. Yeah, I like the hook-me-ups. And Jesus is like, all right, guys, the feeding of the five was just teeing up where I, I'm about to go with y'all. And if you pick up the teaching starting in verse 53, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. If you're not willing to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood that I'm going to pour out, you can't, you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. And here's the, the, the real emphasis. You've got to be willing to die for your faith. I'm going to die I will become the Lamb of God. I will become the sacrificial Lamb. I will give myself up. I will be murdered a criminal's death. And this is what he's saying. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise that person up on the last day. Anyone. That's a great invitation. I will raise that person up. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread, I am the true manna. What was provided in the wilderness, uh, th that was temporary. I am the bread of life. Next week, Jesus is going to say in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. He does that at the Feast of Tabernacles where they're celebrating part of God's provision of water through Moses. John 8, he's going to stand up and say, I'm the light of the world, part of the Feast of Tabernacles. Here he's like, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. I'm, I'm, I'm what sustains Many, 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 if anyone eats, he's got it. But many of his disciples said, this is hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to buy into. How can anyone accept this? Jesus was aware they were complaining. He goes, hey, hey does my teaching offend you? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. At this point, Jesus turns to the twelve. At this point, many of the, the disciples turned and deserted. Then Jesus looks at the twelve and says, you see all these people bolting? You, you see all these people saying they can't stomach this hard teaching? You guys going to throw in the towel? Y'all going to bolt as well? Peter stands up and says, uh, where else can we go? You got words to give eternal life. You are eternal life. Where, where else can we go? We believe, and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Now, listen to me loud and clear. I'm telling you, this is a very firm, strong chapter. Jesus intentionally Thinned the crowd. Jesus thins the crowd. Jesus emphasizes, I'm going to die a criminal's death. I'm going to pour out my blood. I'm going to become the Lamb of God. 
I know this is a hard teaching. I know it's almost impossible to stomach, but what he's saying is, are you willing to die for the gospel? Are you willing to become a martyr for the gospel? Because when you study the pages of Scripture, Jesus loves us way too much to stroke our egos or to tell us how good we are. He's going to die a criminal's death, and he's thinning the crowd. Are you in it for the right reason? Are you following me out of the right why? Do you show up out of the right why? You want tricks and you want treats, but I'm talking about dying for your faith. I'm talking about embracing me of calling all the shots. How many of y'all are in? Is this offending anybody? They're like, whoo. And Jesus is basically saying, do not hang around me just so that you can feel good. This is not a feel-good gospel. This is not an easy believism gospel. And Jesus lost a ton of followers that day. And I'm sure his research team and his marketing team came to him and said, Dude, where were you in Bible college when they offered the class on how to win friends and influence people? Don't you know how to hold on to your customer base? He goes, no, I want to thin the crowd. They're not following me for the right reason. They like hanging out with me because of what they think I can do. But they've got such a distorted view of who I am. He looks at them and he says, all right, all right, do you 12? Y'all jumping ship? Y'all done? Y'all going to desert me too? And Peter's like, basically, listen, we're all in. I'm not saying we like all your teaching, but we're in. And Peter would ultimately die a martyr's death being crucified upside down. But I started pondering this. Josh, and I think it's so important for us to ponder this thought process. What causes people to walk away from the Lord? What causes people to depart the faith? You ever think about that? I'm like, it says right here that many left him, Andrew. What causes people to do that? One, I was reading this thing by Tom Greentree that I thought was an incredible article. And he started mentioning a lot of different things in this article. But it, but it got me thinking. I'm like, you're right. One, disappointment with God. I've heard people say, hey, I was hanging out with the Lord and going to church, but I, I, I tell you what, I'm just disappointed with God because I prayed about this situation right here and God didn't answer my prayer. So, so we, in the Western culture, we bought into a, Jesus is a cosmic Santa. I sit on his lap, tell him what I want, and if he doesn't come through the way I want him to, then I can ditch him. I'll find something else to believe in. The gospel according to Jesus is firm and hard. We don't make God what we want him to be. We embrace him for who he is. And I've heard people say, hey, God let me down. And I'm going to tell you, I had this conversation this week with, with my friend Jamie, her and Jeff. And when their son Levi died at the age of four, right at the age of five, I can tell you this, I don't understand that kind of pain. And I guarantee you, when you go through difficult times, you're going to struggle, and you're going to hurt, and you're going to feel absolutely destroyed inside. God, I, I can't even make sense with this. But I can promise you this. 
People's disappointment with God is usually disappointment in their image with God. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus is like, I'm going to die. Eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to be a part of it. We, we don't like that one. We like that feel-good stuff. It's like it's not happening. Two, why do, people, uh, why do people depart the faith? They're turned away. They get distracted. We live in a busy world, and there's all these different kind of traps out there that would love to lure us away. And I'm telling you, I've seen so many people that started out like fired up, and then they got distracted. And the three things that I see so much in this generation today is I would call it business ball and booze. Or work, sports, and partying. I've seen people that started walking with the Lord. Man, business is going so well, I'm just working all the time. And they just start to drift. It's like, well, I ain't had time to get into the Word in a while, and I haven't had time to fellowship with anybody in a while, and I'm just so busy right now. And it's easy to get busy. My generation, I've been, I've been raising kids. I mean, we've got them 15 to 27, right? But so many people in this space right here, we're chasing ball. We're going to be salt and light at the ball field. Really? And we neglect fellowship. I'm telling you, I've seen this repeatedly. And we start to bow to sports. And people that were walking with the Lord started opening the door. Now, it's okay to have an occasional beer. It's okay to have two or three glasses of wine. And some of you can have a glass of wine, cool, and keep going. But for so many people, they start tilting over into the party scene. It's like, hey, we might be there at 11 based on how well we deal with this stinking hangover from last night. And the Lord is saying, Stop. You got distracted. You were running so well, but now you're out of lane. Here's a third one, doubt. I've seen people throw this one around. And usually doubt is the result of a lack of discipleship. That's the reason we believe so much in the Wednesday night small group, the Wednesday night discipleship stuff with Dustin and I and what we've got going on. We want to see you in a small group because we believe you'll flourish being around others and diving deeper in. But I've seen people just battle doubt because they were never discipled, Dustin. They didn't have any root system in them. And I start to look and I'm like, wow, what, what are you struggling with? Well, well, why does God let people suffer? Because we live in a stinking fallen world and sin disrupted humanity at every level. I mean, honestly, I was talking to a brother this week that needs neck surgery. He's like, what do you think? I said, I'm not in pain. I just don't have no range of motion. You in pain? Yes, I can't sleep. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? He goes, I just don't like being cut on. I'm like, i tell you what I'll do on Sunday. I'll ask every person in our uh, service, how many of y'all like getting cut on? I said, nobody's going to raise their hand. We don't like suffering. We, we don't want to be cut on. You want to get cut on? No, I don't want to get cut on. But sometimes you have to make an injury to bring about healing. But people struggle with suffering. I've heard this one a lot. Well, I just can't believe uh, people that are sincere in other religions would go to hell. 
And so they just, I, I, I can't believe that. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that Jesus stuff. I can't believe he's the only way, okay? Here's another one. I've heard this one a lot. Man, what happened? You were hanging, you were involved in fellowship, but you drifted. Well, I got discouraged with some other Christians there. Oh, really? Well, we live in a world with a lot of people. Well, there's just a lot of hypocrites there. I know. And I concluded that I'll go to church with a few instead of going to hell with all of them. There's going to be hypocrites. People are going to struggle. But I got my feelings hurt. So did I. My mama told me no. I needed counsel ever since, right? But reality is, this is the culture in which we live. It's like, I, I just got discouraged. Here's another one. People drift. Man, I, I was starting to go, but I, I, I didn't have any foundation. I, I never took any intentional strides towards spiritual growth. But I really wanted to, honestly, I, I didn't want to submit to Jesus' authority. I mean, we're going to probably get married. I don't see why it's wrong. I can't have sex with my girl. Well, well, honestly, I, I just like doing what I like to do. Slow fade. And you came for, well, what happened? Why'd you drift? And like a boat with no motor, with no paddles, it's just like whichever way the wind blows. Here's a huge one I've seen right here. Deceit. People start to form a wrong view of who Jesus is. And there's jacked up theology in our culture today. And all of a sudden, somebody was like, oh, man, you've got to read this book. Or you've got to watch this video. Or you've got to. And people that do not have depth in their relationship with Christ, if you're not careful, it's easy to be deceived. That's the reason even Paul would write, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Hey, pay attention to what you're listening to. Pay attention to what you're watching. Pay attention to what kind of teaching you're, you're, in, you're endorsing out there. I mean, and it can be feel good all the way to the name it and claim it stuff. I'm like, be careful. Let me wrap it with this thought. Okay? When you study the life of Jesus, and if you've got like your Bible, uh, the Bible out and you're reading it there, or if you've got an old school, like you carry your Bible, the words in red, those kind of words that Jesus kind of emphatically said, ooh, they'll jack with you. I promise you, they'll jack with you. Because we live in this easy believism, consumer kind of Christian culture, and you'll see people go, oh, I just found a new verse this week. And I'm like, really? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. Man, i just been meditating on that one. I'm like, good. But what about where he says that he didn't come to bring peace but sword? No, I don't like that one. That don't fit me. Oh. Man, John 10, 10, I just love it that he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, I like that verse. Oh, that's right. But how about the one over there where he says, unless you hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your wife and even your own life, how you can't be his disciple. 
just want to tear that one out. Or how about him coming on the scene going, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood? I don't, I don't like that one. I think I'm going to be a Philippians 4.13 only Christian, Tim, that I can do all things through Christ. Hallelujah. But you're not going to be a Matthew 11 follower of Christ where John the Baptist was like, am I really supposed to get my head chopped off for preaching the gospel? Don't gripe at how I'm doing things, John. I got you. And we, we live in this culture where it's easy to want to gravitate toward what we think is the gospel because it accommodates and brings fulfillment to me. Jesus repeatedly, Jesus repeatedly used strong language when he talked about separating sheep and goats. It was strong language. Because I believe that the gospel according to Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he wants us to know it's about integrity, not popularity. It's about holiness, not about pleasure. And he comes on the scene, he's just like, ah. Oh. And, and we think somewhere in this Bible, somehow we think this, because it, we can podcast it, it's on, it's on the radio station, oh, I even turned it on the TV. We think somewhere like, oh, I'm trying to find that verse, Tim. Which one? Where Jesus talked about how to have the, 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 the five steps to a happy life with a happy wife. Where do you get that teaching? I don't know which verse you're looking for. Well, you, you, you know that one where he said, how to be the best you now, that was in a New Age book. I wouldn't know it in, in this one. Oh, I, 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 I know there's a verse where Jesus says, how to get rich and have success. Where, where, where's that verse? No, that came out of Houston, not out of the Bible. That didn't come out of the Bible. No, he said he was going to die a criminal's death. He said that he would be beaten and shredded. He said, unless you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, you can't have any part with him. He said, you got to take up your cross daily and be willing to follow him. Uh, that's what Jesus said. I, I'm just telling you what he said. Uh, I know it's insane. I know it makes no sense, but I know that's the gospel according to Jesus. It's not the gospel according to Western culture. I, I know he said to his disciples, it's, it doesn't make any sense in the logical. But he told them, I'm going to send you all out into the world like a bunch of sheep amongst wolves. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure the disciples are sitting there going, you know, in the Jerusalem times, we've read about wolves killing sheep, but we've never read a story about a sheep killing a wolf. You sure you're wanting to send us out like that? Yeah. Yeah. Sheep meaning, y'all belong to me and you're going to walk me with me. Wolves meaning, you're alienated and still in the world and devouring anything you can to promote your own agenda. I'm going to send you out there. 
here's the, here's I'm I'm just telling you for me. And this is not cute. No, it's really it's really not cute. But I think before the Lord, Rick, we each have to sit there. I mean, we're talking theology and philosophy right here. We've got to sit there and look in the mirror and go, am I all in in this or not? Am I really repenting from the world system and surrendering to Christ? Or am I gravitating toward this feel-good stuff that's not even in the Bible? Am Am I looking for a Jesus really? That says, you don't have to go to hell, and I just want you to be rich, because we all just want to be rich, right? I'm going to promote your flesh agenda, yes. I have to look in the mirror and go, all right, what am I, what area, areas do I have going on right now in my life that would restrict the lordship of Christ and the Holy Spirit from having total freedom in me? That's, just, that's where I'm at. And if, and if you're still holding on and still corralling all this stuff just for yourself, meaning your flesh, meaning just not all in, I, I, I would encourage you to repent today. All right, that's all I got for you. John 6, that's just what the Word said. I know y'all like, like me walking on water, cool. Buffet, cool. Now, let's get real. Get your wine right. Get your heart right and let me have it all. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, Uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.